Vincent Sabonis, two-man game inside. Domas, dominant, dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid, and he got some dog in. And the steal, they can tie it with a three. Murray, yes! A Murray miracle in the desert! Welcome back to another episode of the King's Post Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today we got a local guy on here, Drew. What's going on? Not much, man. Not much, literally not much at all. Ever since the King season ended, it's kind of just been... I don't know. I, yeah, kind of just feel lost. The weather outside, too, would reflect that. Um, we're one week into June, and, and it's it's not extremely hot yet, which is odd. So it's just been it's just been weird. I've kind of just been lost in the wilderness ever since the uh, ever since the season ended. But how about how about you, man? How how you doing? I did think the other day to like I, I debated counting how many days it had been since the last beam, and then just decided <laughs> against it. But it's probably been a while, you know, like I remember Frankie was joking about it during the series that like, well, tonight's the last beam we're going to see, you know, mm-hmm. and you just never know when's going to be the last beam, dude. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. After after game six, I did debate it. I was like, should I should I go down to Doko to see the beam? This might be the last beam that that we'll see. And, you know, had the Kings had they even won game seven the beam we wouldn't have been able to see the beam it was a it was an afternoon game right so we wouldn't have been able to see it till later that night so i was like man I, I might want to go see it then i just didn't so it's been it's been a long time since since the last beam uh that i saw because you know i was there for games one and two and then the warriors reeled off three straight and then <laughs> and you know no beam since game two for me uh against the warriors so yeah it's been it's been a long time man the withdrawals are real i can real. tell yeah <laughs> going through it um, other random topic for you real quick before we get into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Messi going to the MLS oh and going to Miami. My question for you is I saw ticket sales went crazy, right? I don't know if you saw. Mm-hmm. I don't yep. remember the exact variance in numbers, but it was uh, pretty drastic. Their mm-hmm. opening day sales. And my question to you is if you bought a ticket just because you were just something to do, you live in the area Yeah. prior to that, do you sell it? And make a lot of money, or oh, man. are you uh, like? For me, I think it'd be pretty hard not to just go and just flex how much I paid on everybody else there. Dude, I would go. Now that's me being a big time uh, soccer and what other people around the world would call football fan. Um, I mean, Messi to me, Messi to me, my goat. I know there's this Ronaldo versus Messi thing, um, but you got a guy coming like. You get a guy like him coming here to America. It's 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 once in a lifetime, and who knows how many more seasons he's going to play after this, right? Um, yeah, I did see the massive spike in 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 resale prices for not just their home games, but when they visit other stadiums as well. And I believe my cousin Zach, you know, your good buddy Zach, I've seen him in the Messi shirts. Yep, big time Messi fan. He's heartbroken that he's not going back to Barcelona because he's also a Barcelona fan. But he told me earlier that Inter Miami, their Instagram page today alone has gained like two and a half million followers and counting. Yeah, it's it's in it's just unreal the influence that that man has. So yeah, to answer your question, I'd go. 
I would go and be like, oh yeah, I got an early. I got I bought these tickets once ago. That I'm a season ticket holder or whatever. And I would 100% flex on somebody who paid, you know, 10 times the retail <laughs> price or whatever it is. <laughs> easily, easily. I agree. Um, I am not somebody that keeps up with soccer, football, football, mm-hmm. as much as I sometimes want to. I love FIFA for what it's worth. And that's mm-hmm. like where okay. a lot of my knowledge comes from, not going to lie, which right. says a lot. Um, <laughs> but anyways, basketball podcast. And there was a big basketball game today. Game three, NBA mm-hmm. finals, Nuggets retook home court advantage by winning one in whatever the hell the name of that stadium is. It has changed names a few times. I saw it on the court earlier and I told myself, no, I'm not calling it that. No, (laughs) no, absolutely not. Um, The stadium right on the water in South beach. Yes. One Oh nine 94 triple doubles from both Aaron from both. Wow. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Right. Just what stood out to you watching this one? Nikola Jokic is is doing something that quite literally that we've never seen. Uh, the first player in finals history to have a 30-20-10 game. He's the best player on the planet right now. I, I it's he is normalized greatness. We've seen a lot of guys do that, uh, not just in basketball, but really a, a lot of sports. Jokic is he's in that stratosphere right now where he just goes out there. It, he plays at his own speed. It doesn't look like he's exerting any energy at all most of the time. And he just, you look at the box score and you're just amazed at what that guy's doing out there. It's unbelievable. And, and it's very interesting watching what the nuggets have done roster construction wise, and then kind of comparing it to what the Kings have done right now. Nobody's Nikola Jokic. Some people like to say that DeMontis Sabonis is Nikola Jokic light. I, I don't, I wouldn't even go that far because Jokic is really like, he's, he's that good. He really is in his own lane. Uh, but you have a playmaking big, a playmaking hub, a guy that is a big screen assist guy, can make plays for others, is rooted to the ground around that elbow area. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Monty McNair looked at what uh, Tim Connolly and now Calvin Booth, what they're what they're doing or what they did in Denver. And you know, he and Wes Wilcox say, well, that's kind of the imprint there, right? Like, isn't that kind of the blueprint that uh, that we should go with? And and maybe the Kings can somehow replicate that. Obviously, that Denver's depth, that squad is just—it's just miles better than than the Kings and really a lot of teams in the playoffs this 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 postseason. And it's a big reason why they've gotten to where they are. But um, yeah, just like the one main observation I take away from from all that is just Jokic is unbelievable. Jokic is unbelievable. Jamal Murray hits some insane shots. Mm-hmm. Having a guy that can bail you out off the dribble like that is is super important and he did everything really. I thought his, uh, he had some really big defensive effort moments. He was on the offensive glass, the rebound battle, just Denver totally killed them in that aspect tonight. And, uh, I do to your point of, you know, Jokic kind of normalizing this. And I felt like Domas did the same with his game. Obviously there's not the same level. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do really much like that meme of, Charmander is Shengun, Charmeleon is um, <laughs> Sabonis, and, and then Charizard, Charizard is. Yes, I think that's as accurate as it gets. Uh, but it's it, it's just amazing seeing it. And big big win, big win. Uh, Jimmy looked good and Bam looked good on the other side, but guys weren't hitting shots. I think Gabe Vincent getting in foul trouble really hurt. Yeah. I think he's been one of their most important guys. And then nobody else was was really getting him to go down. So is what it is. 
happens. Uh, next game is, I believe, on Friday. Is that right? Yeah, they only get the, one day. It's, it's the one. It's the one. Uh, one day gap in this series. The rest, the rest of the way, and then obviously the three games, the two games prior was two days rest in between. So, um, yeah, quick turnaround. So, you know, um, I don't know exactly who that favors, but I would imagine you're in Miami. You would probably just, you know, if you if you're the coaches at least, you're thinking, yeah, let's just. Let's just get in and get out. I don't. I don't want an extra day for any type of foolishness that yeah. might occur. For yeah, you know, if I'm Mike, if I'm Mike Malone, I'm like, yeah, let's just let's just get these two games in in three days and get the heck out of there. Go back to Denver. Uh, so that might favor the Nuggets in that regard. But um, you know, look, these are two great coaches. But Eric Spolstra historically is yep. in the postseason. He's he's a guy that just you expect the adjustments to come. You you expect the chess match to get even more complex and to go another layer uh, beneath the surface. You know, Mike Malone, I'm sure, will be ready for whatever is thrown at him. But Spo just continually does these things where it's just like, how does this guy even? How does he even think of these things? Want like sometimes you, you think to yourself, okay, how does he even think of this? And then others, it's just like, dude, the balls to even try that. You know, like it's it's unreal that guy. So I I definitely. I don't think anybody should count the heat out. Um, but I mean, just, just a, just top to bottom, very, very, you know, just complete performance by the nuggets today. Really the only time where I was thinking to myself, Ooh, you know, they might be, they might be kind of losing it is at the end when the heat were kind of throwing a full court pressure at them, but that seems to happen a lot in the NBA and then it doesn't really have much of an impact on the next game. So yeah, we'll see. It's, it's been a pretty entertaining series through three games. I think it's about all we could ask for. Um, but we will see. And for me personally, I don't have a rooting interest either way, but um, you know, just love seeing the chess match and the X's and O's. And uh, I guess if I had to choose, I mean, I'd love to see Michael Malone get one, especially after the Kings <laughs> did him dirty. So uh, you know, maybe I'd lean nuggets, but it's, it's been a fun series. It's, it's, it's been about all that we can ask for. It's been entertaining. I like your coaches uh, chess match. Like, Spolstra, when they talked about today that Miami's run more zone than every other team in the league combined this yeah. postseason, yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Um, and Mike Michael Malone, in just the clips that they showed of him mic'd up, had ready for ready for me to. I was ready to run through a wall. The, yeah. <laughs> I, I especially liked the talking to the other players on the the team of how many years have you been in the league? Jeff Green, I think he's sixteen, however yeah. long it is. How yeah. many finals have you been to? Two. And goes around and puts into perspective. I, I thought that was a, a great moment from former King head coach Mike Malone. But now current King head coach Mike Brown has still plenty of guys under contract headed into next year. And the yeah. plan for today's episode is to focus on one area of improvement, identify one ideal area of improvement for each player that is still under contract. Um, and just for clarity's sake, guys under contract, is going to be De'Aaron Fox, Demonis Sabonis, Kevin Herter, uh, Rashawn Holmes, Malik Monk, Keegan Murray, Davion Mitchell, and I did include P.J. Dozier as a non-guarantee and Kessler Edwards, who has a team option. Um, did I send you Keon as well? I probably should have put Keon in this. I don't know how I overlooked Yeah, you should have. All right, yeah, we'll do Keon. So. And maybe we'll even do Nimi. I think he's yeah. a restricted free agent, but we'll do Nimi anyways. I'm, tell- I'm telling my good friend Keon you left him off the list. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully he forgives me. Um, but I want to start with though, like I think that there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about internal improvement coming from this group. You mm-hmm. know, all of these guys are, are pretty young. 
actually. Um, Age-wise, you're talking about 22 for Kessler, Edwards, and Keegan Murray. That's the youngest. 23 for Keon Ellis, Namias Keda. Uh, 24 for Davion Mitchell, Malik Monk, and Kevin Herter. You have De'Aaron Fox at 25, P.J. Dozier at 26, DeMontis Sabonis at 26, um, and then Rashawn Holmes at the bottom at 29. So it's a pretty young group, and I, I think it's realistic to expect internal improvement from some of these guys. Like you certainly hope Fox and Sabonis are able to get better. And then just like, maybe you can, and and Keegan Murray being a rookie, obviously last year going into year two, but if you can get some sort of significant jump from a Davion Mitchell, a Malik Monk, a Kevin Herter, like I think it would do so much for this group. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, for the first time in a long time, have so much faith in the coaching staff and the player development. They, 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 these guys flashed improvement throughout the season. And that's so difficult to do when you're dealing with the grind of an 82 game season. And then plus another seven games, if you include the playoffs, right? So for them to continually show that they can develop these guys during the course of the season, that should give you uh, a, a lot of confidence that they can, that they can get some positive results during the off season when really all you're doing is skill development. And um, obviously conditioning is going to be a big factor uh, for obviously for the way the Kings play, but also, you know, when you look at a couple of guys uh, in that warrior series, really, namely Kevin Herter, I mean, we saw the guy's legs were just dead and, you know, he himself during his exit, during his exit interview said, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I need to get my stamina up. You know, he knows. So this is the perfect time for that to happen. Uh, these guys are, you know, we've already been seeing clips, right? Videos of these guys already just back in the practice facility, working on their games. Um, I'm sure they know what they need to improve on. If they don't, then the coaching staff will remind them what they need to improve on. And, and, and I'm with you. I think the confidence level is pretty high with uh, what we can expect as far as improvements go uh, for these players going into next season. I think they're all uh, kind of hanging out a bit here and there as well. Mm-hmm. I, I know at very least publicly the Chimo Moneki post that he put out of a bunch of guys that, flew out there. I don't know yeah. if they caught one of his AS Monaco games. I would assume so, mm-hmm. uh, but who knows? An excuse to go out there si- sounds nice no matter, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, dude, yeah. But let's get into these players. We'll go in order of points per game. Um, so let's start with De'Aaron Fox, and you'll go first on this one. I mean, it's it's almost been kind of the same thing every year with him. I almost want to pick something just for the sake of pick something. Just, I want to pick something different just for the sake of picking something different. But I mean, it's 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 the three pointer, right? If, if he can if he can get that up to above thirty six percent, and and I mean, it's it's not like he shot the ball horribly this past season, right? But he was still low thirties, I think. Um, you get that up above thirty six percent, closer to league average, or you know even what you would consider to be a good three point shooter. Um, that th- then what do defenses do, right? You already own the highest offensive rating in NBA history, uh, this Kings team from this past season. So for me, it's the jump shot. It'll open up so much more. You look at how much better he shot the ball this season, as opposed to the season prior and look at what that opened up for this team. Right. Um, obviously he's never going to be in. I don't think he's ever going to be consistently like an elite three point shooter, he loves the mid-range area for obvious reasons. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The guy owns the mid-range area. It's a big reason why he was so effective this past season. A big reason why he went clutch player of the year because he can get any shot he wants in that area and he'll he'll knock that down with consistency. But if he can if he can space the floor even more as a three-point shooter, I mean, that's going to open up so much more for not only himself but the people around him. And if you run that two-man game with Domas, with him and Domas on you know on an empty side, I I don't. 
I don't know how you'd be able to find an answer for a two-man game involving Fox and Domas with an empty corner and Fox has an improved three-point shot. So for me, it's the shot. I think that opens up so much more if he's able to become a better shooter from beyond the arc. Hard to argue with the three-point shot. I think De'Aaron acknowledged that as well. You know, something he was always going to work on in his exit interviews. This year, 34.3% on catch and shoot, 30% on pull-ups, um, on wide open threes. He shot 33%. Um, funnily enough, if it was four seconds or less than the shot clock, Mr. Clutch Player of the Year, 40% from three, of course. <laughs> Shocker. Um, but I absolutely agree. I do think like the percentage he put it up at, this year, that 32.4% combined with being a lethal mid-range player, like even mm -hmm. if the three-point shot doesn't get better, obviously he's still going to be able to be effective it, it, to large extents, just like we saw last year, but it would do just that much more. Um, I actually went with consistency, and I think it was something Mike Brown had mentioned throughout the course of the year that he thought if De'Aaron could just do it the whole game long, that he mm -hmm. has a chance to really be elite, you know, and it probably is even stands out more quarter by quarter um but i just looked at half and i think kevin herder also mentioned on i believe it was jj reddick's podcast how mm -hmm. he noticed that De'Aaron is somebody that ramps up throughout the course of the game right yeah, um, yeah. but first half De'Aaron averaged 12.3 points 3.3 assists um and then the second half that goes up to 15.1 points and 4.4 assists you know I, I have no issues like with the way that he goes about it i think he's kind of trying to feel it out He's trying to get other players involved early um, because he can just turn it on at any point. And some, and some of these other guys need to get into a rhythm in order to be effective in late game scenarios. So I, I get it. Um, but if he can find a way to have that same impact in the first half that he does in the second, yeah. that could really take him to like, we're not talking third team all NBA anymore. Yeah. There that's always the main complaint that I do see. Um, on the timeline during games is uh, where's Fox in the first half? Why does he only, why does he only show up in the fourth quarter? That's not necessarily true. I think you're being um, a little bit too broad when you say that uh, right. he, he, he's, I, I would agree with that. I, I would agree that he does kind of ramp up as the game goes on. I, I kind of compare it to, um, you know, an elite starting pitcher. He's not going to come out. He's not going to throw flames right away as the game starts. He's got to get to that point by, you know, loosening up and, and having thrown enough pitches. Right. And I think, that that analogy kind of applies to De'Aaron, but I hey that's that would definitely be second on my list for sure because sometimes he just he, he'll do the disappearing act thing in the first half, and then in the second half all of a sudden he comes out and he just goes nuts. Um, you know how many potentially fifty point games could De'Aaron Fox have had this past season had he just you know come out the gates just guns blazing and kept that uh, same level out you know throughout the entire game. Who knows? You know, we know that he's capable of having prolific scoring nights like that. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I like that one as well, for sure. I, I think, you know, if he, if he was able to be more consistent and also add on a, a consistent three point shot, I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about, yeah. you know, easy. The guy's going to be in like the top five point guard conversation. You know, people are saying eh, he's like fringe, you know, top seven, eight or something like that. You know, there's, you know, point guards, a deep position, but I, he'd be from in the top five if he was just out there just, dropping 30 every single night. And we know he's capable of doing that. Next up, DeMontis Sabonis. I will go first on this one. I think we should go alternating here because okay. we're bound to take each other's at some point here. I went with the mid-range jumper. Um, we saw that the way Golden State was, was playing off of him. And I think that he actually knocked him down at a good rate this year. Four to 14 feet, 51%. If you go 14 feet to the three-point line, 45%. Um, and that 45% is actually a, a decent 
bit better than some of his previous seasons. Um, but the frequency was down a lot this year. And I get that that's not a shot within the flow of their offense, but right. I think that just being comfortable with that shot, because I think he's shown the ability to knock it down. It's just low volume. And I don't yeah. think he, he seemed the most comfortable. It's also something he talked about in his exit interviews. Um, but having that shot, I think would be really important. Obviously, ideally it would be a three point shot, but I'm kind of taking steps here. If yeah. I could just piece anything in here, it'd, be for him to shoot like Jokic, obviously, you know, right. um, but give me that mid range shot. And I think that's enough to just make teams think twice about defending you the way that the Looney was able to of helping off like that. Yeah. Again, I, I can't say it enough. Just a brilliant, brilliant defensive game plan by the Warriors. I mean, it's obviously having Kayvon Looney too, is almost like a cheat code. He's, he's the perfect guy to deploy that type of game plan with, and it took away so much of the Kings offense. Um, and then on top of that, on top of that, the, the Warriors just did a great job. DiVincenzo, Moody, you know, Kamingo when they were in there, just locking and trailing the shooters, making the DHOs more difficult. Um, that was the obvious number one choice. Uh, so I guess, you know, just to switch it up for me, I, I would say he needs something else just besides like those left hand flips and little hooks or whatever, right? Like that six to eight feet area where it's not technically a mid range jumper, but it's not technically a layup either. You know, he needs, I don't know, a push shot, you know, maybe use, I mean, he's left-handers typically are just extremely left-handed. I think Domas certainly qualifies as such, you know, maybe use the offhand a little bit more. Um, he just needs more of a, you know, what the kids call a bag these days <laughs> in that area, right? That would, that would make life so much easier on him because, you know, we saw it in the playoffs and now that he has the experience of a seven game series under his belt. He'll know, uh, and, and I think you know he probably already had an idea, but they call games so much differently in the playoffs. And when he's down there, and the physicality is just you know at, at the highest that it's been all season, and and he and Looney are just beating up on one another, you know, like that that little that kind of softer stuff around the rim is not going to work necessarily. So he's gonna have to. I I I would hope that he's gonna get a little bit more crafty in like that five to eight foot range or something like that, you know, so that he doesn't always have to settle for a mid range jumper. Um, which I in agreement with you, I, he needs to get more comfortable with, but also he doesn't necessarily have to, you know, put his shoulder down and go through somebody to get something at the rim either. So I would say that's what I'd love to see him improve on. I like it. Next up, Kevin Herter. All you, I mean, we just talked about it, you know, stamina, I, his, his conditioning has got to be better. He said it himself. February was an insane month for him. Just insane. I, I don't know. I can't recall if I've ever seen somebody shooting just just crater like that. 29.2% in February. And then in March, 51.1%. And, and what was he in? Do you have the numbers for uh, October, November? I do. October, uh, 53.2. It's only 47 total attempts. Short month, right? Because it starts that year right. um, or that month. November, 41.1. Uh-huh. Uh, December, 37. January 37, February 29, March 51, and April 22, not including playoffs. Yeah, his, man. Yeah, his 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 two months that sandwiched uh, March were so bad that I almost forgot that he had a really, really good March. Um, yeah, I mean, it, he, he was, he was playing such a different role this year offensively for the Kings, right? So I, I don't expect somebody who really was just, you know, almost relegated to just being like a spot up shooter and like a secondary second side playmaker off of, off of Trey young to come in and have the legs and and know what his body's going to feel like, you know, running around as much as he did 
I think he was, he certainly had to be in the top 10 as far as guys with, you know, miles traveled during the season, right. Running. Um, he was, he and he and Domas, the number one, as far as uh, volume goes, the number one DHO tandem in the league. So that requires a lot of stamina requires a lot of conditioning, a lot of endurance. And yeah, he hit, he hit some walls and I don't necessarily think he was out of shape per se in the warrior series. It's just when you're chasing clay Thompson around on the defensive end and you have to account for his off ball movement when you're on defense like that, you know, you're going to be running a lot of miles on defense too, on top of the miles you're already running on offense. So for him to me, stamina conditioning, it's got to be at the top of the list as far as something that needs to improve. It's definitely got to be. And like you said, he acknowledged it. I think the physicality, of that series on the defensive end affected him offensively. And I do actually think he was one of the players that was notably better in the, on the play in the playoffs defensively. Um, he still did have his games where he had foul trouble, um, but I think that affected him. And, and you saw it throughout the course of the season as well, though. Second nights of back-to-backs, he was 34.1% from three. Um, the team also practiced all the time from my understanding. Like it is not typical how often this team practiced and I, I don't think the team the players had an issue with that um, but it, it obviously does have an impact when it comes to just the stretch that is an entire 82 game season and whatever your playoff run is going to be um, the other thing that I did go with for Kevin Herter was rebounding um, I think it's something that Mike Brown pointed out a lot this year that he he was just pretty inconsistent in that aspect and the way that they play defense and how often that guards are asked to crack back on bigs. I, I think that consistency there and physicality, and he has the size to do it. He has decent balance and athleticism uh, to go and do that where, you know, the 3.3 boards a game is, I, I think that can be higher. You mm-hmm. know, there were five or more boards on 21 occasions this year for Kevin Herter, but he also had 27 games with two or less and seven games without a single board. Um, so I, I just, my other thing on top of conditioning would be um, consistency rebounding for Kevin Herter. And, and I think that'd be a big improvement for him on the defensive end. If, if yeah. he became a better defensive rebounder, mm-hmm. um, who do we have next year? I believe. Oh, the one other thing I want to ask you real quick on Kevin Herter. Cause I just wrote a Kevin Herter um, season review for the Kings Herald. Little plug Saw there. that um, his postseason people make a lot of it, right? 20.5% from three. Obviously mm-hmm. that sucks. Mm-hmm. And he, he actually missed, um, I believe he had 17, let me find this number again, wide open threes. He had 17 wide open threes and he only made three of them. Um, that's Ouch. obviously not great. There were yeah. times where Golden State was obviously playing him really aggressively. I thought that could have opened up more for De'Aaron and Domas, but Domas' lack of a midi jumper, I thought limited that. And then De'Aaron's thumb um, limited him in the later uh, games in that series to take advantage of that. But obviously the wide open ones like you want from Herter, but 20.5% in this series, but then you go back even right. 29 point, 29% in his last postseason. they got eliminated round one against Miami with Atlanta, right? Eastern conference finals. So his last postseason series prior to that 26.3%. But then you look at his first two first round against the Knicks 45% that, Next round against Philadelphia is sort of the well-known one, 27 in game seven, right? Which actually he didn't do it on threes. It was like all twos. Yeah. Um, But 37% from three in that series, but 20% that warrior series and the two series prior 29%, 26.3%. Like 
and it's meaningless, but like the three point contest showing didn't exactly <laughs> help your case for people that say you shrink under bright lights. I'm not ready to say that with her at all, but people are absolutely starting to feel that way. And like, when you look at it, I'm like, eh, I, I, I get why people are worried about it. I'm mm. absolutely not there yet, but is there something there? Uh, well, I'll point this out because somebody else pointed it out the night of the three-point contest. Uh, you know who else had the same exact score as he did in the three-point contest? <laughs> Kevin Hart. Michael Jordan. Oh, so, nice. Different directions. You know, but... uh, it's, think about it. You know, it, there <laughs> might be point. something there. Um, yeah, I I get why you're worried. I'm not there yet either. I don't want it. Like, it, it just labeling a guy as a dude who just shrinks in the big moments. I think you're going to need a lot more yeah. of a sample size with the team that he's currently playing with, obviously. So, I mean, he, he had uh, two playoff runs with, with, with the Hawks and had that legendary game seven against Philly. Uh, I think, I think that one game carried his legacy for a good while. Like people were just like, Oh, you know, it's, it's you know, cave like cave on's a right. Cave <laughs> a big time playoff performer. And you look at the numbers, you're like, eh, is he, you know, because he, he really didn't perform all that well outside of, you know, that series and then really that game, right? I, I, I do recall he him struggling against the Knicks. I mean, not the Knicks, uh, against, um, uh, who, who was it in 2021? It was a, uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Milwaukee in, in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then, uh, yeah, then in the first round, uh, the season before he got traded to Sacramento. So, yeah, I'm not there yet to to call him this dude that, that just becomes – you know, small on the big stage, but it'll be something to monitor. Um, and really, I think next season, during the course of the season, all we can ask for is just consistency. See if we can just keep it around the same percentage month to month. And then hopefully that hopefully that carries over into the playoffs. Um, but, you know, obviously he's well aware of what he needs to get better at, well aware that his conditioning needs to get a lot better. Uh, I I would think that he he would not come out, you know, in a playoff series if the Kings get back there next season. I, I would I would bet I would bet money on him not coming out and shooting twenty percent from three again because that's just abysmal. Agreed. Um, and to be clear, I'm absolutely not there yet either. Mm -hmm. I think there is an aspect of like, sure, he's been there before, but this is the first time with this role in this team and system and everything. I think that plays an aspect. And you know, career high effective field goal percentage, two point percentage, three point percentage, finishing at the rim. Uh, offensive rating with them with Herter on the floor 121 with a plus 4.5 net rating with him off the floor 113.6 with a plus 1.2 net rating like when it comes down to a Herter was super important um, and I think he's gonna be fine but anyways that's my little Herter rank because I just wrote about him next gotcha. one we got um, is Keegan Murray um, and I think I'm up huh I went with finishing at the rim um, I this is something that did I, I just all the time with Keegan this year. It's like, please dunk the ball. Yeah. Please dunk the ball. Yes. Um, Monty McNair, the day that he drafted Keegan Murray, one of the things that he raved about Keegan in his press conference right after the pick, after the draft concluded, was his dunk percentage. And it's not like Keegan is throwing it down on people, but it's just dropping it in there with two hands and not quite dropping it. Push it down. Yeah. And that's obviously the most efficient shot that you're going to get. Um, he 24% of his looks this year came at the rim and he converted 63%, which isn't horrible. Um, not great for a guy, his size. Um, and you want to guess how many dunks he had this year? I was surprised. Oh, um, I expected it to be really low to be fair. 
55. Yeah, 42. He he apparently missed six, 42 of 48. He missed um, six dunks? Apparently, which oh, I don't think is great. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's just a, and I think this comes, goes hand in hand with physicality. Um, but for me, it's finishing at the rim. You have the size, you have the length, you have the athleticism. And there's so many clear opportunities where it's like right here, you just went up soft, you double clutched, just go through the chest of that guy and throw it down. Yeah. A lot of people, uh, post draft after he was selected and people got to see him in Vegas and at the California classic, uh, which by the way is back at the golden one center, July 3rd and 5th this year. Um, people marveled at exactly how big he was. They're like, Oh, he's six, eight, you know, as advertised as listed, you know, you have, you have the whole, you have the whole, Oh, in shoes. He's this height that it's like, no, like Keegan Murray is six, eight. He's, he's, he's a big wing, right? Um, he's a, he's a, he's a four man. So yeah, you would think with that type of size, you would think with the way that he played the way that he played at Iowa. And this is what really, you know, you and I, I talked, you and I have talked about this before the way that he played this year as a rookie, surprised me a little bit because the way that he played at Iowa was just a complete, it was not the same. You know, obviously Fran McCaffrey, Iowa head coach, he's trying to win games. He's going to find the best way to manufacture easy looks for Keegan Keegan being, you know, just a physical freak that he is. And just, you know, how, you know, being how skilled he, he was and how talented he was, just put him around the rim. So he played, you know, in that mid post on the block area, they would just run like flex stuff. They'd run like punch sets, stuff like that. They would just give that guy the ball like eight to 10 feet away from the basket and he would just go to work. And he dunked the ball a lot. He was able to, you know, at least, you know, over the course of about a 35, 40 game season in college was dunking the ball, get him out. Kind of shows you the gap between, you know, fourth overall pick in the NBA and like average college player was when Keegan was out there. Cause you know, you don't drop 24 points a game in college like that in a conference like the big 10 without being just an absolute freak of nature. So it's in there. We know it's there. He has to do it more, though. I agree with you. He has to do it more if he wants to take another leap because this is the NBA. Everybody's a freak now, right? And like the the, the size that you're dealing with and just the physicality you're dealing with is just a completely different thing from college. So yeah, I agree. He needs to be dunking more. He needs you know, just finishing through contact, finishing around the rim. I agree. That's got to be an improvement. Um, for me, I think it's his self creation off the dribble. That's what I'd love to see him improve. Again, we saw flashes of this during the season. Some of that stuff would just come out of nowhere sometimes. And you think to yourself, what, where is that all the time? Right. And I think it might be Keegan's natural personality, kind of just who he is. He doesn't really, it kind of seems like he's a guy who definitely doesn't want to step on anybody's toes. Right. He knows he's playing next to De'Aaron Fox and DeMonte Sabonis. Those two guys are going to be your best players. Those two guys are going to be, they're going to be dominating the majority of the usage. Right. But I wouldn't be shocked if coming into training camp this year, Fox and Domas tell him, hey, we don't care about our usage. We don't care about you taking shots. Shoot the ball and start creating for yourself because you're going to need to. And it was in game four. So this was the game. Yes, this was the game where, sorry to bring this up, Kings fans, when HB missed the the, the shot at the end of the game. Uh, Keegan was fantastic in that game. And there was a play where he took a handoff and like snaked it and took a pull-up jumper from like 17 feet and knocked it down. And I'm like, dude, if that guy can do that kind of stuff off of DHOs, coming off of screens, he's going to be adding a totally different dimension to his game that teams are going to have to account for. And if he's, if your third best player can do something like that on offense, then your team's going to take a leap. Your team becomes that much more difficult to guard, right? Because late clock, late clock situations, we're thinking, oh, okay, 
that's Fox. Give Fox the ball and get out of the way. I'm sure you're still going to default to Fox nine times out of 10. But if he's not on the floor or if teams try to take him away in those types of situations, you'd love to have somebody else out there with some self-creation ability. If Keegan can add that to his game and layer on more self-creation, um, you know, tighten up the handle a little bit. I mean, I think that's his big swing skill. And if he can get that down, that's the difference between him being, you know, a career 12 to 15 point scorer, you know, spot up three point threat that might struggle in the playoffs, as opposed to a guy who could average upwards of 20 points per game and really be, you know, your one B two a two B kind of player and help your team take a leap. And if he can make a huge leap during his rookie contract doing that, that signifies some pretty good things for the Kings with his current core. 35 pull-up threes this year for Keegan Murray, 14 of 35, 40%, um, and that's compared to 465 catch-and-shoot threes. Wow. Um, and 49 pull-up twos, knocked down 23 of them, 46.9%. Um, there's a, a little bit in the playoffs, six, three of six on pull-up threes and seven of nine on pull-up twos. Um, I agree with you. That's where his game goes to the next level. That's where we're talking about a completely different player, a completely different career arc. It's where this Chris Middleton comes in. I was, and, I was literally just thinking Chris yeah. Middleton too. That's and, what and everybody by the way, always brings up. Yes. And going through this draft cycle, I've like come to realize like Chris Middleton is everybody's new favorite comp. Yeah. Like it's, it's for everybody. It's mm-hmm. for everybody. Keegan has said it himself that it's somebody he looks at his game. So I'll roll with it. I'll let it slide. Um, but God, <laughs> it's used everywhere. Like I never thought that Chris Middleton would yeah. just be used everywhere. Uh, Chris Middleton being the ideal Chris, Chris Middleton being the three the three man four man comp is the same as the Chris Murray being mocked to the Kings thing in every mock draft, right? Dude, I saw it again yesterday. <laughs> I was like, dude, please just let me see somebody else. Uh, God, I'd be super happy with Chris Murray. Don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, same for content sake yeah. and for just having fun brainstorming. God, please, people, do you get tired of it? Uh, I I do because it's just like. It, it, it's just very, it just seems very lazy. Just seems yes. very, very lazy. Agreed. So, yeah. Agreed. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Now streaming. He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Who does that? Vacation Friends 2. Rated R. Now streaming only on Hulu. Next up, um, which by the way, I totally messed up the orders and don't mean to disrespect Malik Monk, who averaged 1.3 more points per game than Keegan Murray, but... Malik Monk, you're up first. Oh man, I I would I mean consistency as well uh, with him. I think there there was a good month stretch where you know before that second game against the Nuggets at home when they played the back to back where he just went off and had thirty some odd points or whatever. Uh, he kind of just disappeared. 
Um, and he'll he'll do that and he'll do that for long stretches. And then, you know, if you look within a game sometimes, just within games, he'll do that as well. He'll just disappear. Um, so consistency. He knows his role. He knows what works for him out there. I, I thought this was the first season for Malik. He showed a little bit, he showed a little bit of it in LA. Um, but throughout in the entire course of a season, this was really the first season I think I've seen from Malik where it's like, yeah, he 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 plays with it. He's mostly playing within himself and he knows his role and he knows what works for him out there. And he's not really going to force the issue. And you think that the forcing the issue stuff goes away and then it'll just resurface. And you're thinking to yourself, Oh my God, where was the Malik just five minutes ago where he wasn't forcing that? You know, I, I look at game four against the warriors and then game six against the warriors where it's like, he was doing so much positive stuff when he first got out there on the floor, being so patient, waiting for things to develop. And then in the second half, you're just like, where, where did all that go? Because game four, I, I'll, I'll always remember the sequence where he kind of slowed down, waited for Alex Lund to catch up to him on the fast break, laid off a beautiful dump off pass, dunk, right? And then in the second half, when the Kings were trying to pull away and trying to win this game, and they're locked into this battle with the Warriors, Malik comes in, he's all over the place, just turning the ball over. It, it was... It, it was just it was just wild stuff to see, but you know, you know, he mentioned it a lot of times during the regular season. Like this is going to be the first time I'm going to be in the playoffs. Maybe it was that. Who knows? But even in the regular season, he was up and down a lot. Um, I I do think that some rough stretches cost him a legitimate shot at being the sixth man of the year. So for me, it's a consistency thing with Malik Monk. You know, like can you go out there and do the same thing every single night? Uh, that that the coaches love, right? That the coach, like when the coaches put you out there, you should be doing the things that, you know, you should be on the four, four. Can you do that consistently and not deviate from that? I think that's the big thing for me with him as far as improvements go. Definitely a good one. I actually struggled a little bit to think of one for Malik, but consistency should have been the obvious one. Um, I, I think that's a great pick. I, I think I love your point of if he played more consistency, he could have been in six man of the year conversation. That was like, really flirted at the beginning of the year. Uh, mm -hmm. Coach Brown attempted to make a mini campaign and then I think realized <laughs> that that uh, wasn't going to happen at one point. Um, but I went with turnovers. Um, Malik averaged the most turnovers per 36, except for Alex Len. Um, and it's not horrible. It's like a two to one assist to turnover ratio. He, he obviously gets times as well. Um, it, it's kind of just, there's players in the league that, you just need to allow one or two, just forgive them for one or two plays a game. You know, like they're just going to do something that you're like, what in the world? But if you just, I, I just treat it the same way that I admittedly treated Dante DiVincenzo. And he's apparently very pol <laughs> polarizing. Yeah. Where it's going to be one or two times a game where you're like, why did you just try to do that? Um, but if you go into it thinking, all right, that's one. And you get one more after that, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you might need to sit down, but yeah. um, I, I think that just maybe being a little less chaotic is kind of what I went for, but I hesitate because chaos is part of Malik Monk. Yeah. Game. Yep. Like, and sometimes it works amazingly. It's just turnovers for me. If it's a bad shot, there's a chance it goes in. Yeah. Turnovers yes. is a total waste. Exactly. So. Yeah. And especially when he's, you know, he, he definitely loves to thread the needle. Sometimes he'll, I try to get a little too fancy, too cute off of pick and roll, that kind of thing. And live ball turnovers will just, they, they will come yep. back to haunt you. You're giving somebody else a transition opportunity. Um, you know, I, if I had to choose, I'd 
you know, as far as which turnovers to get, it's just like, dude, just throw that thing into like the third row. At least your defense gets set up. But he loves trying to thread the needle and and loves trying to get a little bit too cute sometimes. And um, yeah, I mean that that'll come back and and, and that'll bite you and, and and that'll haunt you. So yeah, I, I that's also a good one. You know, just keep those turnovers down. Yeah. Rebounding also could have been mentioned. That's the same way that Coach Brown was talking about Kevin Herter. He was grouping Malik Monk in there often. Um, I will say shout out everybody that we mentioned so far. The least games played is 75 for Kevin Man. Herter. That all these guys played a lot of minutes. Um, the most minutes of any five men in the NBA, 900 yep. total minutes, and it was by mm-hmm. a lot. I don't it wasn't even close in front of me. No, yeah. it was not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, got Davion Mitchell, and this has got to be the most obvious one on here. Um three-point shooting oh yeah he, he shot 32 percent from three we obviously know what he can do on the defensive end i don't think he's somebody you want initiating the offense but good news is you have other guys out there that are able to do that um specifically he comes in for fox usually as first substitution and then can run with all the other guys that can play make specifically playing through demontis sabonis or malik monk is out there that can be the other playmaker mm-hmm. um so i'd love to see him take steps in that aspect but as of right now if that three-point shot takes a notable jump from the 32% he shot this year. And that's also 34.6% on catch and shoots. And when he was considered wide open by NBA stats, which means no defender within six feet, 31%. Mm. Um, and teams were straight up ignoring him at times. If that takes a jump, and we obviously know the insane work ethic of Davion Mitchell, like he could take a, he could be seeing significantly more minutes. And, and just really, it, it would allow him to play next to De'Aaron Fox. Yes. Yeah. And obviously that's huge when you're thinking about alleviating some of the workload on Fox defensively, right? Like if Fox is going to be your point of attack defender for every second that he's going to be out there on the floor, that might hurt his production on the offensive end. You know, you're kind of limiting the ceiling of what Fox can give you offensively. If he's going to have to be at the point of attack every single game and on every single possession is being put in like pick and roll, right? Uh, Davion also for the playoffs during the seven games of the playoffs, 25.9% from three on just under four attempts per yeah. game. That's, you know, it's just, it's not going to get it done. Um, their their was, adjustment at the end was to fully lean into their shooting and that meant less Davion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and obviously that, that hurts when Steph Curry goes supernova yeah. and scores 50 points. And I don't care what anybody says about the whole, Oh, he took 40 shots to get 50. I don't care to the guy dropped 50 points and the Kings were not making it look particularly difficult for him out there. Um, yeah, I mean, easy choice. It's the shooting. He has to be a factor out there. He has to be able to space the floor. He has to be a threat. And look, I'm with you. Look, I, I, he, in his three years in college, showed significant improvement, you know, year to year. And then that year that they won the national title at Baylor, I think he ended up somewhere in like the mid-40s shooting from three. And and on pretty decent volume, I remember. Um, I do remember also somebody on, on the night of the draft asking Monty, yeah, like, do, do you think that that's a, that that's a that, that that's a good thing or do you think it's just an anomaly that he had a good shooting year and monty was like yeah we think it's good that he got better <laughs> yes that's a good thing um but we've seen that a lot with college players where these guys take a few years to come out and then you know if they come out as upperclassmen you'll see that yeah they had a great shooting year their last season in college after showing significant improvement compared to their first few years and then they just don't really refine. They, they, they don't, they can't re- rediscover that in the NBA for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of the longer three point line, obviously. I mean, it's, you know, it's two feet, two feet longer in the NBA, but you know, like the first guy that comes to mind for me when, as far as, you know, Kings related, uh, somebody that that happened to was Justin Jackson, like Justin Jackson 
didn't shoot the ball very well his first two years in college. The year they won the national title, he shot like 44% or something like that. And then in the tournament, couldn't throw a rock in the ocean. The Kings make that pick, and the Justin Jackson of the March Madness version of the North Carolina Tar Heels that year was the guy that they got. Like, the guy could not knock down a shot in the NBA. And I don't think Davion's a lost cause, but I really hope that, you know, it, it can go one of two ways right now, and I really hope it doesn't go the direction of, oh, okay, he's just going to be a guy who's just not going to be able to shoot and be much of a factor from from distance in the NBA. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. That, that's an easy choice. Like, be a better three-point shooter, everything else will probably just work itself out as far as it goes uh, for Davion Mitchell. Yeah, I, I was scared that you were going to throw a shot at Robert Woodard there, but I'm glad that Justin Jackson <laughs> took the stray anyways. Uh, <laughs> next up, we got uh, Kessler Edwards. And I think WCC legend Kessler yes. Edwards uh, currently recruiting Max Lewis. Oh man. Hey, I I'd, I'd love to see that. Yeah. As, as bad as Pepperdine has been for the most part uh, ever since I've been a St. Mary's Gales fan, um, I, they do get some guys that come through and Kessler played on a, uh, actually a pretty decent Pepperdine team uh, with a guy named Colby Ross that really pushed St. Mary's a, a few years and getting to see him in college, it's like, yeah, it's all there. He's got, he's so toolsy, right? Like th- these guys with tools are the guys that, that you would like to spend more time with uh, as, you know, a coaching staff and see if you can develop what they have. Kessler has the tools to be, obviously he's shown it, be a pretty effective defender. I think for him, consistency from the three-point line, I think this is a recurring theme for a lot of these dudes, but yeah. consistency from the three-point line for him, that's going to be huge because they tried an experiment early on in the season where, hey, do you remember the first few games of the year where KZ Akpala was starting? <laughs> uh, a lot of people have forgotten, apparently, but the Kings tried that by putting a player of that archetype out on the floor to see how that works with the other four players. Turns out, if the defense is just not going to acknowledge that you're out there, it makes it a little bit more difficult for your star players to get where they need to go and to get buckets, right? And... Kessler at least showed some spot up shooting ability. There's of course that game in Phoenix where he was just mad. He was just huge, hit some huge clutch shots, really gave Booker a tough time down the stretch, uh, gave them just enough on defense for the Kings to win that game. Uh, we know we, we know what he can do defensively offensively. Can you be more consistent from the three point line as a spot up threat uh, to at least make defenses have to worry about you a little bit. And that way teams can't sag off of you and take away Fox can't take away Sabonis, Keegan, Kevin Herter, potentially, right? Um, I think for me, he needs to show a little bit more consistency as a spot of three-point shooter and really carve out a role for himself on offense like that uh, in order to make an impact on the team. And I don't know about you. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that picking up the team option is a no-brainer? Yeah, I should have started with that. It's a $1.92 million player option. Um, I think so. I think like unless you – I mean, if – you need to free up that money because you also renounced everybody else. And I think they can get something close to like 25 ish million. Mm-hmm. I could be off uh, give or take um, and say that like Kessler's money is restricting you from doing that. Then like, sure. I let, let him go. But I, I don't really see that 1.9 million being restricting. And I, I think that he showed enough. I mean, like, yeah, towards the end of the season that you, I, I think it'd be good to hold on to him. Um, 22 games played. This is, I mean, basketball reference, I'm sure at least like five of those games he played 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. I, I swear yeah. him and Casey Akpala would get checked in for mm-hmm. the final defensive possession of the first half only multiple yeah. times this year. But 306 minutes, 22 games played, quote unquote, right? Um, 
you know how many threes per game he shot this year? This is my first time seeing this number, I feel like. Three and a half? 5.1. Wow. And knocked down 34.9%. 10 points a game. So when, he was, so when he was out there, he was letting them fly. He definitely was getting them up. Um, yeah. And they went down at an okay rate. Obviously, you need a much larger sample size than than 300 minutes out there. Um, but I think that was it, it was somewhat encouraging. I, I think that cutting could go into there as well. He, mm-hmm. He's an athletic guy. Um, and, and then I, I did kind of go for defensive discipline. I think just not getting in foul trouble is is really important when you're such a special specialist like he is. Um, so that's where I went with Kessler. Next up, we got Rashawn Holmes. Um, this one, so I initially tweeted this out a little while ago, and I've kind of adjusted some of them. But for Holmes, I literally just put question marks. Um, <laughs> since I had to come up with something, I, I wrote down a bring the dog back. Like what happened when Rashawn Holmes Man. went out there? He was the guy that was outworking everybody. He was fighting his ass off, going after balls that you're like, you have zero chance of getting there. Mm-hmm. Actually, you have like a 0.1% chance, but he's freaking riding that 0.1%. Yep. And I would just love to see that. I don't know the opportunity he's going to get. I understand he's obviously had a lot of off-court stuff going on. Um, and I'm sure that the on-course situation is a frustrating one as well. Um, but bring the dog back, man. Same. I, I miss it, man. I miss it. I miss 14 and a half points, eight rebounds per game. Rashawn Holmes. From On 85% the, from the field. Yeah. And <laughs> it's for some reason, he's just like a ridiculously good three-point shooter for a big. I, man, I miss it. He's, you know, regardless of what has happened these last couple of seasons with him, his contract and all that stuff, man, I I, I just, I love the guy and his, and his family too. Like they've, they really did uh, assimilate themselves so well into the community and they're they just seem like fantastic people so i just want the best for the guy but the dog the dog has gone missing man the x-ray you know if you pull up an x-ray <laughs> you know, it's nothing nothing there you know yeah. so i yeah the dog coming back would be great but i i don't know about you i expect him to be you know use this salary and some sort of move this offseason to to facilitate a deal i think if they can they will um depends if it takes what more it would take to to dump him if it's seconds dump it sounds i hate using that word i love Rashawn yeah. holmes too i love Rashawn holmes too i i think that everybody in sacramento probably loves Rashawn holmes pj dozier what do you got for pj dozier we're really getting into the weeds here and by the way pj dozier Man. does have a 2.4 million dollar non-guaranteed deal um as i click on his name here to see if it tells me how much is non-guaranteed it's fully non-guaranteed um but becomes guaranteed on july 10th mm. so i guess there is a question with dozier um but i like him yeah uh, uh look we're talking about these are the guys at the end of the rotation right now for the kings right if you have kessler edwards rashawn holmes and pj dozier towards the end of like your rotation or just like you know just outside the rotation you're doing pretty well. Obviously, this is the this was the deepest roster the Kings have assembled in a long, long time. Very, very weird to think about because these three guys, like in in past iterations of the Kings, oh, they'd be getting minutes. They'd be getting heavy minutes, and that's why the Kings could never win more than you know thirty five games in a season. Usually, um, for him, it's what's like. What's your role? Like, you need to you need to find a way to. Uh, to carve out a role for yourself, right? Like, and, and, and if it's not you, that's going to make that decision, then you have to do things 
obviously mostly in practice um, to, to help the, the coaches help you define what your role is. So, you know, what is your role in this team? You know, as far as the basketball side of things go, uh, like what purpose do you serve role wise on the actual court? Um, and then, you know, if you're not going to play very much, can you handle, right? Like uh, that veteran leadership type of role, Matthew Delvadova knew exactly what was, what the deal was when he signed with the Kings. He, he seemed like, he seemed like the perfect person for that role. Um, and he was fantastic at it. He, a lot of guys in the locker room sung his praises and said, Hey, he was very, very important uh, to the team ecosystem and to the team morale. Uh, there's that story of how Delhi sat down with Terrence Davis to check on him and, and made sure that he was doing all right. And then TD started playing some really good ball after that. You know, like can PJ Dozier take on a role like that? I'm not, you know, he's not like a vet vet. He's, he has, he's not like up there in age, but um, he's been around and I'm sure that, you know, he can help some of the younger guys, you know, kind of adapt to, to, to league life and, and to make sure that they're doing okay and checking in on guys like that, you know? So, you know, I, it, basketball wise, can you find a role for yourself? Um, if not, can you accept, uh, being a guy that's just going to be part of the culture and, you know, not make a big stink because you're not playing very much. Well, this is a guy that had two 30 point games this year for the wolves, Mm -hmm. um, of Iowa, of Iowa. (laughs) Um, so I, I think his role is obviously a star and he just is not being given opportunity. It's disgusting what's happened this year. Um, yeah. His his shooting splits in the G League were insane. <laughs> Pretty before, ridiculous. Before he came back the second time with the Kings on yes. that on that on that second ten day or the the second contract for the rest of the year, he was shooting lights out in the G. Yeah, he he went and proved that the Kings should bring him back, and they did yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I have convinced myself that PJ Dozier is a cash three point shooter. I, I think that he's showed it a little bit throughout the course of his career, um, but. I swear this man does not miss in warmups and has the prettiest looking jumper I've ever seen. I, I don't know why, but I gush to everybody um, that's there early enough to see PJ Dozier. One of the first people warming up. That's like, I'm telling you, this guy just (laughs) has a cash jumper. Um, But I I think that my, the direction I went fills into yours because he does need to find a role, but I went with working on that DHO game. I I think that if he could pull up, um, off of DHOs from threes behind that screen. If he can fake and cut um, that, I I think that shooting is there a little bit. I I think he has a little bit of everything, but to me working on that DHO game is kind of working on playing within the flow of this Sacramento offense. Um, So I I think we kind of went in the same direction with that one. Uh, Next up, do we go, we'll we'll go with G league MVP runner up. We'll start with uh, Namias Keda. The only guy actually not under contract restricted free agent, um, I'm sure if the Kings want to retain him, it won't be difficult. I don't think there's a bunch of people chasing after Nami Ishkeda unless they're really trying to uh, tend to the Portuguese audience. <laughs> but uh, what do you have for Keda? I mean, obviously dominant in the G League, right? I, I just, you look at just the, just, the sheer size of him. You're just like, this is unbelievable that he can even move the way that he does out there. So against G league competition. Yeah. He's I'm not saying it's a cakewalk. I'm sure they're very, very skilled and talented players at the G league level, but he makes it look easy sometimes. And the numbers would suggest that, you know, you just said he's, he was the runner up for league MVP, right? Um, There's something there. Uh, I, I think for him, and this was something that there was that debate all season about, well, what, what, what do the Kings need? They need, uh, another wing who can, you know, give you two way production or, you know, we need a backup big, right? 
Namias Keda could be the solution in-house to getting some rim protection behind DeMontis Sabonis, right? Like DeMontis Sabonis is not a rim protector. Uh, we know that he knows that everybody's well aware of that. Um, he's just fine on the perimeter, right? Um, but he's not going to do anything crazy out there. Once he comes off the floor, if you're not going to have overlap with that DHO game, at least get somebody out there who's just a big body, right? So that you can protect the rim. Namiya Skeeta could be that. So I think for him, the thing that he needs to show, not necessarily improve, but the thing that he needs to show, at least to the coaching staff, uh, assuming that they do retain his rights and bring him back, is that he can be the solution as the backup five. Like, show them why uh, you were worth you know, the draft pick and then worth developing to these last couple of seasons. Um, and you know, with, with Kata, I, we saw it last summer league, there could be some overlap there on offense. He can run the DHO game. You know, it's yep. not, it's not going to be as effective as DeMontis Simonis because he's not the pass that Domas is, but he can at least look comfortable running a DHO. Um, you know, it's not like Chemezi Metu looked all that bad doing it, but need me though, need me though. He looked really, really comfortable. And you know what? At Utah State, they did run everything through him his last season there. Uh, his assist numbers were kind of shocking when I looked at them, uh, but also the, the turnovers were kind of high. So, you know, like, there's some give and take there with him. Uh, he definitely has to play within himself. He has to understand his role when he does that. But last summer league, they ran, they ran a ton of that DHO stuff with Nimi. I think he can. I think he can do that at the NBA level. He's just got to show that he can stay out there on offense, not be a net negative, and then prove to the Kings, like, yeah, look, you invested two years of development in, in into me. Um, I'm here and I'm ready to show you that it's time for me to be up on the big league roster to help you guys out. I don't think he'll play in summer league, but I would love to see him go out there and just kick yeah. some ass. Yeah. Um, I think it'd be good. I think that the one specific standout to me would probably just not getting in foul trouble, Yeah, which is also just defensive discipline when it comes to blocking shots. Like, um, random po- uh the paul george podcast which i've grown to love by the way mm-hmm. okay. um, I, I went on a little binge recently but he just had jaron jackson jr on and talked about at the beginning of his career he was swatting a lot more dude um which yeah. is very typical for bigs right specifically shot blocking bigs like you want to get that block but just having the discipline to keep your hands look back um the patience and just kind of trusting you have good positioning and are going to be in the way i think is super important for a guy that has the potential to be a shot blocker. Um, but the other thing I went with is like, I think consistency was really big even throughout the course of the G league. It's, it's a very basic broad term, but there were nights where he looked dominant and there was other nights where you just didn't even really feel him out there. Um, to start with your assist numbers, like he did have a game with six assists. He had four different games with five assists. Um, and then there's two games with zero and, a handful here with one. Um, that's not really the inconsistency I'm talking about, but just pointing out the passing that you highlighted. But it's uh, the fact that you get a 31 and 12 game or a 28 and 10 game. There's a 26 and 8 game. And then you also look and there's a game where he plays 32 minutes and he gets 9 and 13 is actually not bad, um, but a 10 points and four boards or a 10 points and five, 10 and eight, 10 and 10 and seven. Like, there were just nights where you really didn't feel him out there. And then other nights where he was dominant. And for a guy that is, that genuinely can be dominant with his size, I think it was a little surprising that there were as many times as there were, where you just kind of didn't really feel him. So I think consistency there definitely stands out to me. And last one we got Keon Ellis. 
Um, I think I'm up. We're going to do, I, I think adding strength for Keon is the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, he definitely looks like he, I, I mean, I think anybody would look at him and be like, all right, you could probably use putting on some, some muscle, mm-hmm. um, especially being a little bit smaller. And I know they're trying to use him as a one. I think his passing did take a notable jump this year but that's coming from a pretty low starting point. I think he was a guy that had more turnovers than assists in college. If not, Mm. if it did favor assists, it was barely, um, it was practically a one-to-one ratio there. And that did take a jump this year, 3.4 assists going to 1.8. Um, but as a guy that's, that's smaller and probably not going to be the one you need to be able to guard twos and threes rather than just twos. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be the weight that needs to do that. Yeah, that was the number one thing. The second that he was signed as an undrafted free agent, you really during the pre-draft process as well. Oh, you know, watching him at the combine before the draft last year, he didn't have a strong combine. And I think it became apparent almost right away to anybody who was watching and especially the scouts there. He struggled largely in part because he was just very, very frail, you know, like frame wise. Um, And, you know, maybe that was the reason why he ended up being undrafted. Maybe he influenced his way to Sacramento because his agent was telling people don't take him. He'd rather be in SAC and he'll he'll sign the two-way there. Who knows? I was shocked that he wasn't drafted personally, but I think if there was a reason why he, he was not selected with one of the, you know, 60 picks last year, it was because of the, the frame. So I would agree with you there. I think, I think he, he does just, you know, like a little bit, like definitely does seem like he has put on a little bit of muscle, obviously being on an NBA roster, you know, playing in the G league, it's having access to the nutrition programs and the, and the weights and all that stuff and the athletic trainers and stuff like, yeah, you'll get stronger just naturally just doing that on a day-to-day basis, but probably he's going to need more. I mean, I think he came in at, you know, measured in at like six, four or something like that. People thought he was six, six. He ended up being about yeah. six, four and, and a quarter without shoes, I think. And, um, and came in at like one seventy or one seventy five. And if you're not a true point guard, you know, it's even a stretch for a true point guard with, at that weight. But if you're not a true point guard and you're not out there facilitating and you have to guard twos and your minutes figure to be, you know, if you were on an NBA team, your, his minutes probably would figure to be with another, you know, primary ball handler facilitator out there. Um, you're going to have to guard up a spot, maybe even two spots, like you said. Got to get stronger. So I'm in agreement with you. He needs to get stronger. But um, he should be at the California Classic July 3rd and 5th at the Golden One Center. And we should be able to see for those for those of us who will be there, and I'm you know, they'll be broadcasting the games too. We'll, we'll we'll get a firsthand look to see if he's improved in that aspect and uh, to see if he's added anything else to his game. And I'm excited about that for sure. Absolutely, I hope he gives whoever he's guarding hell. Um, oh man, it, I I I made all those joke mixtapes last summer where I'd put an R&B song over like Keegan Murray, <laughs> Keon Ellis, and the Mia Skeeta mm-hmm. highlights, um, and I and I watched. Keon, one of one of the ones that I made for Keon recently, and there's just some stuff that he was doing on defense where I'm just like, oh my god, his lateral movement. I'm mean, like, Davion Mitchell has the craziest lateral movement I've ever yeah. seen, at least from a Kings player. I, I, it's just it's nuts. The decelerating, the decelerating, the yes. deceleration, yeah, the it's deceleration. and it's the nerdiest thing that I love. Yeah, it, it, yeah, seriously. Like he he can just stop on a dime while on defense, which that's that's the opposite of what you'd expect. We, we, we admire guys and we marvel at guys who can just, Oh, he stopped on a dime with the ball in his hands or whatever. But Davion can do that on defense. Keon's not that far off. Keon was doing some stuff where I was like, wow, you know, Davion refuses to be screened. 
you know, he sticks to his man so well, navigating around ball screens. I saw some of that same stuff from Keon. And Keon also, there were a few plays where he was like two steps ahead of the defense. Like I saw Frankie Ferrari get hung <laughs> up on a, get hung up. Yeah, Kings summer league legend Frankie yes. Ferrari got hung up on a UCLA screen. And from the opposite wing, Keon saw that happening. Sprints over, cuts that off and gets a steal from, from a guy throwing a pass from the opposite wing where he was coming from. I'm like, this is unbelievable. So he, his instincts are there. Um, you know, his natural ability, his lateral movement, all that stuff, it's there. It's just, you know, how much will you be able to make an impact with all that at your current frame? Probably not much in the NBA. So he's going to have to, for sure, put on more weight, more more strength. We will see. Summer League's going to be fun. Uh, it's wild to me that Miami's in the finals with the 18th pick <laughs> in the draft. Um Ugh. And I'm excited that Luke Laux gets to coach the team. I Dude. think that's going to be a fun opportunity for him. I'm excited yeah. that uh, we get to talk to him. I think he's going to have uh, fun quotes and moments running that team. And I think that's all I got, Drew. I got one more random BS question before we get out of here. I didn't okay. want to just like say bye after this. I want one other th- <laughs> one other thing real quick. Okay. Um, they talked about Jeff Green playing for like 29 different teams this year. <laughs> Or in his career, and yeah. like the one is Sacramento. Not actually true. What is it? Eight. It's 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 at least something like eight. that. It might Maybe he's been to the playoffs with eight, and it's been more something yeah. like that. Right. Um, Boston. Total BS for no reason. This probably doesn't even make sense. But Jeff Green in Sacramento. Would you would you like that? Are you a Jeff Green fan? Like huge, huge Uncle Jeff. Jeff back of Hunk, five. Uncle uh, Uncle. Huge <laughs> Uncle Jeff fan. He had the open heart surgery, right? When they found yes. out that he had arrhythmia or whatever it was, took a year off, comes back. I mean, that happened, I think, really early on in his career in Boston. Um, I'm not gonna yeah. lie, I was heartbreaked, heartbroken yeah. when he was traded for Kendrick Perkins, but oh, I wow. guess I'll accept yeah. it. Yeah, you know, the end result there was, and then he balled out fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I, I, he's he's a great story. Um, seems to be the consummate pro. You know, everybody he plays with loves him. Uh, yeah, bring him to sack. Bring him, bring him as another veteran presence. You know, it's assuming harder. Yeah, and, and well, you know, obviously not as old. Yeah, right? but yeah. but he's he's been there, done that. Could win, could win a title uh, this season, right? Um, I I'd, I'd love to see that just because I just love I just love the guy. So um, yeah, give give me Uncle Jeff. I'd be down with that. What about you? How you how you feeling? Yeah, just for the vibes for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm definitely not saying like this is a great idea for an office. Don't do this, probably. Um, <laughs> but I love Jeff Green, and I just was like, when they said on the broadcast today that he wants to play until into his 40s, and he's 36 right now, I was just like, shit, I'd, he'd be fun in Sacramento. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the whole thought. There's nothing deeper than that, right? I mean, assuming that Harrison Barnes does not come back, um, you know, you could use another steadying, nice guy, you know, upstanding gentleman presence in the locker room right so give me give me uncle jeff man i'd 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 be down make it happen but probably don't make it happen if you're the front office like you said agreed (laughs) anything else before we get out of here um yeah arby's has rotated the two for seven again so if you go this time uh there will be a new menu they've phased out the uh latest roast beef uh sandwich that um that they had on the two for seven but you can still get mozzarella sticks uh, or premium chicken tenders with your two for seven. So if you visit your local Arby's, uh, make sure you get the best deal in town. Undoubtedly, the Arby's two for seven.
All right. I'm not going to say the same Arby's line I said last time. <laughs> We're just going to stay away from that one. Um, my last thing is that uh, it's ridiculous to me that Sasha Vezinkov is in his uh, Greek Basket League finals, and they are tw- they went 22-0 in the regular season. Mm-hmm. They went, I think it's best of three in the first round and then best of five and then later two in his playoffs. Um, they won 2-0 in the first series, 3-0 in the next series, and they're currently up 1-0. They have a chance mm-hmm. to go fully undefeated. Um, Greek Basket League is not uh, the same as EuroLeague competition, obviously, right. where they came right. in second in the regular season to Monaco, actually, which Chima Moneki's on. Doesn't play a great amount, but on that team, uh, mainly Mike James. Uh, but pretty wild to me. Still, when I was uh, writing my Sasha piece, damn, 22-0? Yeah. Like, you didn't they lose could. one? They could have a perfect season. And they we, could. Didn't, we didn't even touch on uh, you know, the latest development in that and how you know somebody was saying that he has reservations about coming over, but I guess we can have a conversation. Oh, I maybe didn't time. even see that. We will have a Sasha episode. And by okay. the way, I told somebody I would talk about Trey Murphy. They asked me to talk about Trey Murphy and like the idea of trading for Trey Murphy. And I told them I don't think that's really possible, but I'll talk about <laughs> Trey Murphy because I love Trey Murphy. Yeah. Uh, we'll do that next episode because this one's ran for a while. It is late, but I did not forget you. We will talk about Trey Murphy eventually. All right, right, Drew. That's all we got. Um, Again, I'm Brendan Nunes. We got Drew, that local guy on Twitter with an O. Zero? O? Zero for the O. Zero. Yeah. 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 I don't know why I struggled there. Um, Yeah. Take a look at the King's Herald to find good work from myself and all the other great guys and gals that are there and peek at their patreon to support local independent kings coverage and if you enjoyed this episode of the king's pulse podcast please subscribe rate and review and we'll hear from us again next couple days